This is an ABC podcast. Hey, are you into manifesting? The power of positive thought? Because so many people are, and it's really exploded in popularity in the last couple of years in particular. Why is that? And are there any downsides? G'day, Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. And yeah, I'm manifesting that this episode's going to be really good. No technical failures. Will it work? You're going to have to listen to the whole thing to find out. Also coming up, Farm Talk. Have you noticed this one? A whole lot of Aussie farmers, basically social media celebs now. People are obsessed with their lives on the land. We're going to check that out. But first, hack. Children in out of home care feel excluded from critical decisions affecting their lives. On Triple J. Across Australia, tens of thousands of young people are in out of home care right now. I'm talking about things like foster homes. For whatever reason, they're not able to live with their parents. And for years, so many young people who've been through this system have said they feel that it's let them down. There's some new research out today focusing on those in out-of-home care in New South Wales, and frankly, the findings are really upsetting. A whole bunch of young people who are in the system now or were in it recently are saying they're not being listened to, that they've often got no idea of what's happening to them, where they're going next, and why they've been removed from their homes in the first place. And most importantly, they're saying nobody is listening to them. Maybe this is you. Did you grow up in a bunch of different foster homes or residential care? Were you left out of the court proceedings and case meetings that were about you? And did it annoy you? I want to know. You can message in 0439757555. Let's talk to somebody about this. Zoe Robinson is the New South Wales advocate for children and young people. And she's the one that's done this research. She's been speaking with those young people affected. Hey, Zoe, thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks so much for having us. What kinds of things were you asking them? We were asking them a whole range of questions. We were talking to these people as young as six and people as old as 24. And so it was everything from their experience of coming into care, what they felt while they were in care, and then also as they're exiting care. And we talked to them about access to health, access to education, their rights, and anything that they wanted the government to know as well. And so what you were hearing was a lot of concern about how this system is operating. And I mean, this is focused on New South Wales, but I'm sure across the country, we know there are tens of thousands of young people in out-of-home care. What were some of the concerning things that you heard? The really concerning thing we heard was when children and young people were talking about that they were absent from decisions that were made about them and that they really wanted this opportunity to be informed, informed about why they were Um, put into care, informed about the processes around that, but also that they wanted the opportunity to be at the table in terms of decision-making around things that were going to impact on their lives. And some of the examples are really intense, right? Like there was one young person who had lived in 44 different placements. I feel like this is not a new issue in the sense that young people in out-of-home care have been calling for changes for years, for a long time, and we've been covering that on Hack as well for years, talking about uh, wanting more of a say, saying that they're left out of court proceedings and case meetings, um, not included in that decision-making process. There's been other research over the years that's shown, you know, up to a third of young people who leave out-of-home care experience homelessness in that first year that they leave. Is it frustrating to you as somebody in this position that it's not getting more attention from government? 
Look, I think it's really hard because this is a space where a lot of things are often done behind the scenes. So there's a lot of great policies that happen and work that happens and it takes time to see that positive change kind of flow on to these young people. But I think the reality is we know that there is over 15,000 children and young people in care. We need to listen to them and they've been saying that for a long, really long period of time. So let's start there. Let's create consistent mechanisms that means that we're speaking to these children often and then let's work and make sure that we're supporting the sector that supports these children as well. The report also includes recommendations, right, what should change and they've come after consulting with young people who've experienced all this stuff. What are they calling for? What kinds of changes can be made to the system to to make it easier for those who have to go through it? I think the really wonderful thing that they've called for and there is work being done in this space is making sure that they're involved in the design of the policy, the recruitment of carers, the training that's given to carers. And so they really do want this opportunity to help make that system better and improve it. They're also talking about greater supports when they're exiting care. And we've seen the amazing work that foyers and the places that people and young people can transition into being a really positive change for those young people exiting care. And then they're obviously talking about the key thing of being consistently consulted and worked with and having their voices heard. All right. Thank you very much for your time. New South Wales Advocate for Children and Young People, Zoe Robinson. Appreciate you coming on Hack. Great. Thanks so much. Hack on Triple J. We are getting your thoughts on this. Somebody says, I used to work in out-of-home care for a few years. So much of the case management is tick a box instead of helping the kids and their families. It's a big reason that I no longer work in the industry. And Steph in Randwick in Sydney says, I work in out-of-home care. There needs to be some really serious government changes to support these young, vulnerable people. That is what we're hearing. And I wanted to speak to someone who's got first-hand experience of all this. And I've got Brendan with me now. Brendan's 25. He went into foster care when he was eight years old. And so he does know the system really, really well. G'day, Brendan. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hello, Dave. Being separated from your family at eight must have been a really tough thing, right? Like you've got siblings as well, brothers and sisters. Were you able to stay with your brothers and sisters? No. We were together for six months and they split us up. Were you told much about um, the circumstances around why it happened? No, I still wonder to this day. I mean, one of the big complaints from young people who've been in out-of-home care is the the way they're moved around. Like we heard from one young person who'd lived in 44 different placements. What was your experience? Mine was pretty similar. I've been to a fair few, probably around the 40 mark as well. And how was the care that you were receiving? I think out of the ones I went to, I probably only had two really good ones, maybe three, but basically two were really good. The rest were, they they just didn't really care as much as they try and show that they do. Like for one instance, there was a carer that I was with where she would kick me out on the weekends and that I'd basically roam around town just to get out of the house. Through this study that we've been hearing about today from young people like yourself who've either are in out-of-home care or were in it in the past, one of the big things they were saying is they just feel like they're not heard, right? Like they're not yes, involved 100%. in court proceedings, case meetings that are, are, are about them. What's your thought on all of that? A lot of things that I wanted to get done, they pretty much didn't listen to me. A lot of things went out of my way and I didn't really get a say in anything. Obviously, 
like if they move you from a new place to another place, you don't get a say of where to go. But it's hard because you feel like you're so you're just not welcomed and like they do everything around you. You just have no idea. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Like your feeling when you're going through um, this experience, you're in the system, you're meeting with a lot of different people, you're being moved around to different places. Did you feel like the system cared about you and your well-being? No, absolutely no. Obviously, mental health got to me. There was actually some really down times where I felt like I was absolutely just useless and didn't feel anything I did meant to anyone or... I just I felt I feel like I was on my own the whole time and pretty much fighting my life with having no idea what was happening. So the stuff that we're seeing from from people like you who are who who are saying this has to change the system, it's not working in the best interests of young people. Does any of that surprise you? No. The fact that I went through it when I went through it and seeing the young children who go through it now still go through it, it's it's still not getting any better. Like there's kids out there who don't get a don't get a say in what they want to do, and their lives are getting messed around by people who don't really want to listen to them or really show them their support. Why do you think it is that we don't see more action from governments on this? Like there's all sorts of reports and studies and research saying we've got to do better. This isn't working. Like year after year we're hearing this, but, you know, there are still these problems all the time. Why do you think we're not seeing more changes? I feel like it could be to do with it that they don't have enough funding. They're not, they're not too concerned about it. It's, they don't want to put too much in the effort the fact that some of us never never know of why we don't take money from our parents and in the long term it affects us. Like being grown up in foster care until now, like it's affected me and my life so much now. Just it's it's hard to kind of keep hold of myself sometimes. What happened after Brendan? When did you leave out of home care? I left at seventeen and a half. Seventeen and a half. They pretty much said because I'm, turn, I'm just about to turn 18, that I need to get out of the home I was in, even though I had no idea what was going to happen next to me. Like, I didn't have a job. They wanted me out during HSC, but I had to force myself to stay where I was till I finished my HSC. They pretty much wanted to boot me out and just really not give a shit. And from the way I see that, it's like, why would you kick someone out and has nowhere to go or don't know what their life is going to consist after that. And so what did you do? Well, I would say I was probably homeless for a little bit. It was a bit daunting. Like I was 17 and a half, 18. I had no idea what my life was doing and, yeah. Brendan, what kind of changes would you like to see? What would you say needs to be a big priority? Making sure the kids that are living in a place is that they're getting supported whether 110% of pure care, make sure that they have a healthy living space, people who generally want to support them. And given those answers that they've always been wondering, like, why did I get into this place? But the one thing I want to stop most is split, splitting up families. Like, when you split up families, it's not, easy, it's not as easy to get them back. And that's what's affected me now is now I split up, for my sisters, I don't have that 
connection with them anymore. Well, Brendan, it's so important that we hear from people who've been through it and who've had the experience like you. And that's the only way we're going to see things change for the better. Appreciate you sharing all that with us. Thanks for coming on Hack. No, that's all right. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Hack on Triple J. We've got a lot of thoughts coming through from people who've experienced this as well. Somebody says, foster care ruined my whole family's lives and tore apart my siblings. Then we've got Brendan from Ballarat who says, I grew up in care from 9 to 19. It was the best thing that ever happened because it gave me the best opportunity to live life to the fullest. And somebody else who said they grew up in foster care. Under foster care, you can't go to friends' houses as they aren't approved carers. You can't join clubs or after-school programs. You just get shuffled every two to four weeks from house to house, and it's really upsetting. Time to move on. Out of all the platforms, TikTok is the key to showing city people what rural people do. On Triple J. We're changing gears a bit now and heading to the bush. Farming, it can be a pretty lonely gig. You're working long hours, it's hard work. Sometimes, depending on where you are, you don't have a big social network. But that is changing for a lot of farmers because they're becoming TikTok stars, believe it or not. They're giving people from the cities and all over the world a look into their lives and they're actually convincing some people to take up work on farms themselves. Angel Parsons has more. Hi, my name's Ellie. I live and work on a cattle station in the Northern Territory. Oh, I just stepped in culture. I can't believe me. (laughs) Has your TikTok addiction ever landed you here? So I thought I'd do this video for you all to show you a typical dairy fit. Patrick, you are by no means a yard pet. Get back in your paddock! I don't know about you, but my For You page is usually full of cute animals, diet hacks that are pretty toxic, and the best life advice. And I said, I'll only do it if the right song comes along, otherwise I'm not bothered. But I also get heaps of content from other people living in regional Australia. So if you're into farm talk too, you might have seen videos like this from Yasmin Brisbane. So I was just putting the camels away, and all of a sudden I heard Ruby down the paddock crying, and so I have... Yasmin's family run a camel dairy on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So I started TikTok really at the beginning of the year and it was very much so that I could share my love of camels and really educate people about camels and and camel milk. Um, And it kind of blew up really, really quickly. Um, And so I went from like 100 followers to 273,000 followers in just under six months. From teaching people about snake safety to videos on mustering camels, Yasmin says there's so much interest in country life. People were just so surprised at, first of all, camels, and secondly, you you have them in Australia, and and thirdly, they're really lovely and affectionate. Um, I love that. I love changing people's opinions about them. There's always been this huge, big divide between country and city, and it's really helping bridge that divide by opening up a window between the two and and so that we can see what it is actually like out in the land and and get people interested and passionate about it again. Working outdoors, no traffic. How's the serenity? Goals. If you've also dreamed of escaping the suburbs, having land, some animals or growing produce, it can seem hard to reach. But people like Isaac Mikalif are making that dream a reality. Living in the city and, you know, seeing farm stuff on a day-to-day basis on your on your social media, it, um, it sort of inspired me to get out and really pursue the dream. I first got into farming back in 2019. I finished my trade as a outdoor power equipment mechanic. And yeah, I've always dreamed of being a farmer and I pursued a career in the cane industry. 
Isaac's 23. He works on a cane farm and, get this, breeds miniature goats. So we sort of just sell them for the purpose of pets. Probably a week after it's born, we'll put photos up and they're usually gone in a day or two. Isaac doesn't come from a long line of farmers. He's a first-generation farmer, something that's increasingly hard given land prices, cost of living, and the rising costs of running a farm. But you don't need to own a farm to work on one, and ag industries are struggling to find enough workers. So Isaac's encouraging young people to consider giving it a go. If it's not for you, then you can always move on to something else. But when you get stuck on it, you get stuck on it. There's no going back for me. You hear of people all the time, like they'll even on TikTok, they're from the city and they're now documenting their process. And it's really interesting because, you know, that if they had never have seen a TikTok or, you know, come across these sort of videos, they would never have even imagined that they would be where they are today. 23-year-old Grace McDonald is a fourth-gen farmer from Proserpine in North Queensland. Life on the farm is full of hard work and the weird and wonderful. And she reckons content creators are doing a great job at showing that. It shows a new side to agriculture, which I think hasn't been seen before. It almost opens the door for anyone to join the club, basically. She's secretary for the Proserpine Young Farmers and says the sector's crying out for workers. For us, finding workers is a big challenge and finding the future of farming is also a difficult process. And even if it is just for a short amount of time, you know, come and do the muster, come and do six months of the crushing, it's a great experience for them and it gets them, you know, helping primary producers put food on people's tables, which I think is critical in a time where cost of living's rising and you've got all sorts of other issues like that. Back on the sunny coast, TikToker slash camel dairy farmer Yasmin says social media's actually been really empowering for farmers and it's generating super important conversations. Succession in Australian farming has always been really interesting because mainly it's been patriarchal succession and everything's sort of passed down to the sons, which is not particularly sustainable in the long run. And then certainly with uh, mental health surrounding farming, there's, you know, really high rates of suicide and mental health in farming. It's very isolating. Um, everything to do with, with drought and natural disasters, making farms go under. Social media and, and particularly TikTok has, has, I think has been fantastic and could be really, really good for farming in Australia and particularly for, for young farmers or people wanting to get into farming because it finally gives rural people and, and farming kids a voice and also access that they never had before. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, Angel Parsons with that story and I see heaps of it. You know, everyone, station hands, fruit pickers, they're getting millions of views, right? And as we just heard, helping to break down barriers and change people's perceptions about farmers and what they do. So surely that's a good thing, right? Hack. My job is helping people to reconnect with themselves and their own power and teach them how to consciously manifest. On Triple J. We're going to kind of stick with TikTok trends. Something you're either really into or really not into, probably. Have you seen those manifestation vids on TikTok? Because some of them are wild, right? Like people talking about positive thought helping them get a whole lot of money or find their one true love. It sounds great. Maybe you're mad into man manifesting. A lot of my friends are. It's a big part of their life. Do you think it's worked for you? Drop us a message, 0439757555. Someone has messaged in. They're saying, I'm manifesting Dave will read my text message to the nation. 
Holy shit, it does work. Wow, that's crazy, right? Look, it is a business as well, though. A lot of these creators are selling manifestation techniques. There's a bit more to it. So what is behind the trend and why has it exploded just recently? Well, our reporter Edwina Story has been looking into it. If you were seeing this video before or on the 8th of August, then listen the f*** up. I'm talking, think of what you want to manifest right now and imagine that coming tomorrow. Here is Try this manifestation technique if you want instant results. So I've tried... Manifestation talk has been booming lately. You know, the ones that are like... I don't chase, I attract. It really kicked off with the pandemic. Looking at Google Trends, the rise starts bang on March 2020. And it has continued to rise over the last two years. Manifesting is part of the wellness industry, estimated to be worth $1.5 trillion. Some manifesting influencers talk of 5D reality. Some help you manifest a text from your ex. Some talk about the 555 method or the 369 method. It's used in a lot of different circles. So manifesting is essentially aligning your thoughts and your feelings vibrationally with what you want to attract. That's Chloe. She's a 21-year-old manifesting coach. So if you're thinking consistently negative thoughts, you're going to attract negative people, negative experiences. And if you switch that and you start thinking more positively and more openly, then you're going to start to really see more positive things occur in your life. Chloe actually has a pretty epic story. She says she was facing homelessness at 15, moved into a youth refuge, became paralegal and then quit it all after watching The Secret on Netflix. I was really struggling with depression for six years. Basically any area of my life, it just was not thriving. And so suddenly I had this awareness that my thoughts are creating my reality and my feelings are creating my reality. So I had to really just take responsibility. Chloe thinks manifestation has kicked off again recently because it's given people a new sense of something to believe in, reflect on themselves, and also because it looks like a cool practice. But where did all this come from? Manifestation and positive thinking has been kicking around for ages. It has some similarities and ties to the new thought movement of the 1800s and new age spirituality, which took inspiration from different religions and philosophies. Norman Vincent Peale popularized the power of positive thinking in order to improve people's lives. This is Rachel Cohn, who hosted The Spirit of Things for more than 20 years and is an academic in the study of contemporary religion. And probably a a very popular one was Rhonda Byrne's The Secret, a self-published book in which she said, just, you know, have the life you want, just think it, it'll appear. As loved by Oprah herself. Make more money, lose weight, fall in love, land your dream job. Isn't that amazing? And the religious side of that was in Pentecostal prayer. So the concept has been around quite a long time and it's not surprising now that it's become popular again especially as people have gone into a bit of a funk around COVID. But the industry is unregulated and some influencers sell courses that can cost hundreds or thousands of dollars that say they will help you manifest money. And while many of them focus on self-belief, combating doubt, journaling and activities that are similar to goal setting in a way, There are some subsections that name drop some pretty big scientific terms. 
All you have to do is use quantum physics. And about how the law of vibration and the quantum physics behind reality... So I asked Jackson Ryan, the science editor of CNET, about how these terms are being used. Honestly, my first reaction as a science journalist is like, God damn, this makes my job so much harder because now I have to explain this to people and debunk some of the stuff that is is silly pseudoscience. Jackson says that some of these science terms being used to legitimise some of these theories are essentially being cherry-picked and are discounting the fields of science that they're pulled from. It's very, very interesting that people use words like law of because we do associate that kind of thing with scientific thinking or the scientific method. Like a quantum leap, for instance, that term does get bastardized a bit by manifestation coaches and bloggers. And quantum theory and quantum mechanics is insanely complex. It's such an insanely complex field of research um, that deals with the nature of things like atoms and subatomic particles, things that we can't see. And I don't want to take away people's belief system because in some ways just believing in the thing might help someone. And in other ways, the law of attraction might actually be negative for people's mental health. And Rachel Cohn believes there are some ethical issues around some of these courses being sold. The individual has little recourse to consumer protection. And I think it raises a lot of questions about the vulnerability of individuals throwing a lot of money at things that may not help them and actually make them become further addicted to this never-ending quest. Hack on Triple Jack. Edwina's story there. I want to break this down a bit more, but we are hearing a lot of different opinions on this one. Tom on the Sunshine Coast says, I manifest daily and it's helped me enjoy a beautiful life from intensive mental health care to running my own business. It works. But Alex also on the sunny coast, says, I genuinely believe manifesting is ableist. You can't manifest your way out of extreme situations or out of a serious health condition or into a life that isn't attainable for everyone. Well, let's speak to somebody who can talk about the impact it can have on you. Dr. Marnie Lishman is a health and community psychologist. She's with us now. G'day, Marnie. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hello. No worries. What do you make of manifesting? Um, you know, I'm all for a little bit of woo-woo now and again. And, then, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think it's wonderful that we try and use positive thinking because uh, it gives us hope, doesn't it? I think a lot of us human beings are very wired to look for the negative in our environment and sure. we have a negativity bias. But we really need to be careful whenever I think we're presented with a one-size-fits-all approach to making life better. I think it can be quite dangerous. Well, yeah, someone's message in, they say the downside of positive thought is being let down. And I guess that is a point to all of this. If you're thinking so much about, yeah, this is going to happen and then it just doesn't, you mentally, yes. that can be a bit concerning, right? Exactly. And, you know, I think there's people out there who are trying to manifest, uh, you know, relationships or their dream job or, you know, a nice fast red car. Um, so, and I think that's well and good, but when we're trying to uh, achieve goals in life, there's a, there's a journey that we have to go on, I think, and, and that involves a lot of learning, it involves a lot of hard work and perseverance, and we need to remember that those parts of the journey or all the elements that we go through, all the ups and downs of life, are actually very important for all of us to build resilience in our life. So I think, yeah, if we want something really quickly and we want to be instantly gratified, 
uh, that's not great for personal transformation. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm getting, like you're saying, <laughs> it's not necessarily um, the be all and end all, but it's probably not bad if it's just something that you're using to, to help you achieve goals and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, we can't just have an idea and then have it manifest. There's lots of little steps involved, isn't it? And I think that's a lot of the, um, the TikTok manifesting gurus are missing out on those little actions that might take a few weeks and might take a few years that we actually have to do on a daily basis to get what we want. And, and it involves failure in some cases as well, which is actually really important for personal growth. Um, so I think they're missing a lot of steps out if they think you're just by writing down an idea of what you want and you're going to manif- magically manifest it, um, is actually, yeah, not the right thing to be spruiking to people. Okay, so um, be a bit cautious when you're consuming all of this stuff because obviously there are a lot of things on TikTok that people uh, are looking at and they're promising a lot of things. Be a bit cautious. That's the goal and the aim to all of this. Thank you, Dr Marnie Lishman, um, psychologist. <laughs> appreciate you. you coming on Hack. No worries. Thank you. And we've got some more messages coming through. Someone says, I manifest a car spot whenever I go to the shops and it works every time. Try it without a doubt. Another person, Courtney on a Wobbicle Country in Newcastle, says, my husband lost his wallet yesterday, thought someone had stolen it. I kept saying to myself, we're going to find it. I'm going to find it. Sure enough, someone had handed it in to the register at the shops. Surely this only happened because I manifested it. Hack. On Triple J. And that is all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.